her as, uh, well, you got to understand the rest of the book to understand Revelations. But uh, before we get there, do we have any prayer requests, any necessary needs? No? Looks like everybody's handling it. It's the way the church, yes, the church should pray and always pray, but we want to get our people to the point. What you got, Richard? Okay. Okay. So this is a this is a gentleman that Richard's been working on uh, for quite some time. He informed us about it. We prayed for him, and uh, his mother was getting ready to step over to eternity, and apparently she's done that. And so he needs comfort and prayers, and so we'll lift him up for sure, and uh, the rest of that family, and uh, and we definitely want to do that. And it's uh, Kelly is his last name, right? So the Kelly family for sure. We'll pray for that, and uh, then we'll get into the word tonight. Uh, Pastor Mike does send his love. I think he's been texting with some people, I think. Um, he was originally supposed to leave the fire on Monday, travel home on Tuesday. They've asked him to extend, but we don't know if he's going, if they're going to take him or not, because he, uh, he and I discussed it, and he will not extend past Friday. He'll drive home. The longest he'll work is Friday and drive home Saturday. So he, he likely will not be with us, may or may not be with us next Wednesday. They haven't said one way or the other. Um, but uh, he'll definitely be with us, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. So uh, he just does send his love. He does miss everybody. Um, he misses being at home. But, you know, you gotta you got to have the finances. And, we, and, and again, we prefer him to be gone a few weeks out of the year versus having to be gone constantly all the time, never knowing what's happening. So we prefer this way better. So we'll pray and we'll get into the word. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to gather as a family in your name. Father, if we thank you for this we ask for, we receive on the good ground of our hearts, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and understanding. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Father, we ask uh, that you continue to help us to understand the book of Revelation. Father, as, as we've talked about, your word is not supposed to be hard or complicated. And so, Father, we thank you that you make it easy for us. In Jesus' mighty name, and all the God's people said, amen and amen. Brother Zach, if you'll Oh, yes, the way down there, and yes, way down there where it doesn't belong. I believe that's better. Uh, Zach, if you'll come and hand these out, it's the it's, they're two pages. He's stuck. I just made some quick notes. It's not a complete list of notes by any means. Uh, in fact, I got into, I got, I pulled out my Bible and started, you know, thinking, I'll just make some quick highlights, and I realized, man, I could write a book with what we've already learned. <laughs> Um, so I just want to go over these real quick. Um, this is kind of some things that we found and that has been pointed out to us through our teachings so far. Uh, first thing that we need to know and understand is that the book, uh, that this book of Revelation, the Revelation of um, John or the book of Revelation, is a book that is to reveal or uncover Jesus Christ, not Satan. God is not about glorifying the devil. He's about, he's about making his son known. Oh, yes, let's do that, too. We can do that. She, I was reminded, uh, hello, Pastor, we've not done our confession. <laughs> I just prayed. I just prayed. Apparently, she wasn't in agreement. 
<laughs> but but I tell you what, we'll do the confession. I might pray a little extra. Seems how it didn't take the first time around, apparently. And I didn't forget to lift up her, uh, the the Kelly family as well. So let's uh, let's let's kind of rewind and do a restart here. <laughs> here we go. This is my Bible. <laughs> Always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate in this word day and night. This word feeds and, oh, yeah, it's rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's actions, oh yeah, my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. I think I'm channeling Pastor Mike tonight. Whew. Whew. Been married to him so long, so long, I think his, uh, his, his, how fast his mind goes is starting to rub off on me. Oh, my goodness. Whew. Yeah, I think we'll pray again. <laughs> I think we'll pray one more time. <laughs> Never hurts to pray again. <laughs> Father, we do come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, thank you for settling my mind. Thank you for settling our hearts. Father, getting us into a position where we can hear and receive from you tonight. Father, we do lift up the the Kelly family to you tonight, Father God. We know that um, Ricky Kelly's mom has moved over to eternity, that she stepped over into eternity. And so, Father, we know that things are well with her. But, Father, we just ask that you comfort uh, Ricky and all family and friends that are left behind, that you comfort them, give them peace, wisdom, and knowledge in this hour. And, Father, we thank you that your spirit is with them, comforting them in Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, we thank you. Amen and amen. We'll try this one more time. (laughs) Glory to God. So, as I was saying, the book of Revelation is not um, a book about Satan. Many people think that it has a lot to do with Satan. And Satan is talked about it, and the works of Satan are talked about it for sure. Um, because, but here's why it's talked about. It's not talked about to glorify the devil, but it's to give people warning of an enemy, to warn people of an enemy. And that's what, uh, this is for. And it's, and so I want you to understand that this book is to reveal or to uncover Jesus Christ. The word revelation in the Greek is actually the word apocalypsis. Um, and it's written on your notes here. You'll notice it's spelled very similarly to the word apocalypsis or apocalypse uh, in our modern English language. However, this word does not mean uh, the destruction of the world. That's not what this word, word means. A lot of times uh, in, in our modern culture and our modern language, when we hear the word apocalypse, we think of the end of the world. Uh, but that's not what this word literally means what this word literally means is it actually means to disclose something uh the greek language is a is what's referred to as a picture language 
So the words that they use draw pictures in the mind. And so what this word in the Greek draws a picture of is a gift or a package being unwrapped or, un, or, uh, or revealed, for something to be un, uh, unwrapped or revealed. Um, it is often this word, apocalypse, through the uh, New Testament is often translated as appearing, coming, lightning, manifestation, be revealed, or revelation. Um, so, that's, so, so as we read this, what we're reading this for is to have Je- is to get a revelation of Jesus Christ, to get a revelation of the age or the day of the body of Christ on the earth. That's what it's here. That's what this is for. Uh, in chapter one, verse three, um, uh, Paul tells us by the unction of the Holy Ghost what the purpose of this book is for. This book is number one: we're to read it, which is what we're doing. Number two, we're to hear the words of the prophecy. And as I was typing this up, the Spirit said that doesn't mean with your physical ears. It means with your spiritual ears. We need to hear it with our spirit um, because our spirit will understand it and perceive it when maybe our heads don't. Uh, The third thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to keep these things which are written therein. In other words, where do we get them? We get them down in the spirit and we hold on to them. And the reason for that is that as these things come to pass, the Holy Spirit can bring us, uh, remind us. If it's in us, the Holy Spirit can then remind us of what the Lord said. And as we see the signs and the times approaching, we can go, oh, we saw this. The Lord told us about this. The Lord reminded us about this. Um, and so by doing these three things, the, it declares in the word that we'll be blessed. That word blessed means to be fortunate or happy or to have favor. Um, so in order to be blessed in this day, to have favor with God, to be happy, uh, this is why we read it. And then in verse 20, and there's a lot of stuff in between here that I didn't make notes of that I can go back and make notes of, um, and I probably will. But in verse uh, 20 of chapter 1, it tells us exactly what the stars and the candlesticks are um, that Jesus was walking around. Because uh, it described, he sees, he sees a man walking, and we recognize that that was Jesus walking in and amongst some candlesticks. And there were seven stars in his hand. And it tells us exactly what those seven stars, it tells us exactly what that is. The candles, each candlestick represented a local church, represents a local church. Uh, so every God-called, God-appointed, God-ordained church, not every church, listen to me, not every church, but every God-called, appointed, and anointed church has a candlestick in heaven that represents it, that Jesus walks around and observes. And, uh, and then... Um, And then it says, Jesus said that the stars were the angels. That word angels means messenger. That these were the messengers of the seven churches. And uh, to get the details in all this, you've got to go back and listen to the full sermons because I can't go over everything in detail. Um, but, uh, But we did show you that in this case, these angels, these messengers, are the pastors of each individual church. Of and um, and that Jesus hold, hold, was holding them in the palm of his hand, and um, 
then Jesus tells us that tells that so the message that Jesus sends to the messengers or the pastors of every church, he talked to them. He had he had uh, he talked to them about what was right in their churches and what was wrong in their churches. And I didn't go through in this summary and list what was right and what was wrong. I may do that in a future summary. Um, but basically, the examples of what was right and what was wrong in every church you can find in a local church today. Some churches have only one or two issues. Some churches have them all. But it was a representation of all of the issues in the churches. Um, and Jesus told them how to respond to all of those. Um, and then Jesus, uh, in addition to that, in each church, Jesus gives a promise to every believer that overcomes the issues in those churches and remains faithful to Christ. Now, we saw when we studied this that in several of the, that, that there wasn't a single time that Jesus said, if that's the case, if that's what's going on in the church, leave the church. In fact, in a couple of churches, he said, just hold on, hold fast, hold on, stay in place, hold fast. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people don't like what's happening in a church and they leave and God said, and Jesus said, I know there's issues in the church. Hold fast, stay put, stay there. Why? Because he's dealing with imperfect people. Um, now if you can't stay faithful through the issues, if the issues are going to pull you away from Christ, then you don't stay there. But, uh, in certain churches, he told them specifically stay fast. And the reason he said that was because they had a fair amount going on that was fairly good. And then in chapter, and so this, that we see that through the rest of the chapters of chapter 2, chapter 3. We get to chapter 4, the scene changes. Uh, John goes from that vision, comes out of that vision, goes back into another vision. And uh, we get a glimpse or a picture of the throne room of God. He describes some things going on in the throne room of God. And he talks about the seven spirits of God. And really what I'm doing with this summary is just kind of pulling the things that mess people up the most. Um, and so the seven spirits of God, you can find these listed specifically in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. But you can find them listed all throughout the word of God. Uh, but, the, but the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our truth. He's our comfort. He's our guidance. He's our wisdom. He's our knowledge. He's our power um, by bringing us the anointing. And he's also the fear of the Lord or, the, or helps us to be reverent of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit is present, there's a reverence that goes with him. And then the 24 elders are human spirits that have thrones with God in the throne room. There's a lot of debate over who the 24 people are. Many believe that this represents the 12, tri 12 tribes and the 12 disciples or apostles. Um, we don't know who they are exactly. But what we do know is the Holy Spirit in our teaching revealed to us uh, that these 24 people, these 24 thrones, represent the full body of Christ or all of the children of God. Um, and uh, so it doesn't matter who's sitting on the throne. There are examples um, as to how we're to act and respond in heaven. They're the person that we look to in heaven. Um, as I was thinking on this, I thought, you know, is he, I mean, maybe it's a little weird for me. You know, I thought, well, what about um, Enoch? Shouldn't Enoch, who never even died, went straight to heaven? Shouldn't he have a throne? 
Shouldn't, shouldn't Father Abraham have a throne? Uh, shouldn't Isaac and Jacob, you know, shouldn't Jacob have a throne? What about um, Elijah, who was taken up in the whirlwind? Shouldn't he have a throne? Uh, so we don't, we, we'll find out when we get there. You know, King David, maybe King David should have a throne. Uh, so, uh, you know, what we do know is that these are some very important people, and they're the example for the rest of us. Um, and the Bible doesn't tell us who they are. He, he just said there's 24 of them, and they're elders. And uh, the Bible tells us to always look to our elders. And then in chapter 5, John tells us of a book that no one is able to open. Um, That is until Jesus becomes the the slain lamb of God. So up until the point that Jesus was slain, went to hell and resurrected, even Jesus was unable to open this book. But once he was the slain lamb of God, he was, able to be, he was able to open the book. Jesus takes the book and is about to open the seven seals. We know that. The seven, and then it talks about the seven horns and seven eyes uh, in chapter 5. And it clearly states that these represent the Holy Spirit. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit, um, it, at first it declares that those, the seven horns and the seven eyes are the Holy Spirit. Then it declares that the Holy Spirit has been sent to the earth. So we know that the time that the seals are open, the Holy Spirit is on the earth. Uh, it, the, time, the, the time of the opening of the seals takes place. Um, and then John tells us of what worship in heaven looks like. He begins to tell us of how they were worshiping the Father God. Then in chapter 6, Jesus begins to open the seals. Now, I didn't put this in here, but I want to remind you that prophecy, prophecy can and does often deal with the past, the present, and the future. So we know at this point Jesus has been slain. We know at this point the Holy Spirit has been uh, delivered upon the earth. Um, and, and that, you know, there's rejoicing in heaven at this point. So we also know that uh, Jesus, when he uh, defeated Satan, that he preached to those in um, Abraham's bosom. He preached to those that were in Shiloh. And many of them were raised to life with Jesus and went with Jesus to the heavenlies. Um, so we know that, and, and that, would, that would explain the people that were in the throne room. Um, and so as Jesus opens the seals, uh, what he's doing is, and I, I, I kind of worded it this way, that this is the opening, the opening of each seal tells us of the church age. So basically what the seals, the opening of the seals are, and this is very different from what you'll read from most theologians, most theologians try to, uh, dissect and, and, and pick this thing apart. But I want to I take you to the end of the book of Revelations. I want to I show you something here. I want to show you something here. So go to the very last chapter of Revelations. I can get past all my note things. So Revelations chapter 22. 22. Verse 18. Uh, he said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things. 
God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. As we read the book of Revelation, we have to be very careful to make sure that we don't add and say that it says something that it does not say. We have to be very careful to just take God at his word. Um, And then he goes on and he says, uh, and he clarifies it. He said, and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. So he's talking very much so to Christians. He said, Christians, not only are you not to add, but you are also not to take away. So when we read this, I'm very careful to take it literally as he says it. Literally as he says it. I'm not looking at a lot. I, I am reading what a lot of theologians say. And it did help me to understand the state of the churches that Jesus was talking to. Because they have a better understanding of the churches. But when it goes into the farther things of Re- the book of Revelations. Um, I tend to not agree with a lot of what they say. Because it doesn't agree with the character of God. And there's a rule of interpretation. The rule of of interpretation says, there's rules of interpretation which says, do not take a scripture out of context. In other words, keep it in the context of the verses that surround it. Keep it in context and ask, who are they talking to and what are they talking about? And when you read the book of Revelations, if you are trying to get it to talk about Satan, you can get it to talk about all kinds of things. But if you're getting it to talk about Jesus, which is what the book is about, then a lot of this theological stuff just doesn't land. Just, it just doesn't land. Now, I'm not saying that I know better than other people. I, I, I agree with that. You have to let the Holy Ghost help you. But with allowing the Holy Ghost to help you, uh, you know, you do have to lean on the Spirit because the Word says that uh, the Holy Spirit, in John 14, the Word says that the Holy Ghost will teach you all things. In James, I believe it's James chapter 1, uh, the Bible says that you need no man of any man to teach you because the anointing that is in you uh, will teach you. However, that doesn't mean that uh, we just throw out all common sense. And it doesn't mean that we throw out everything that our fathers have taught us about studying the word. So you have to keep it in context. And one thing that I've learned about Bible interpretation is you have to read from the beginning all the way to the end of the thought or the statements that are being made. You have to keep it in total context. And I can tell you that just taking a uh, just taking a chapter here and chapter there and reading it a little here and a little there it's very 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 easy to get out of whack it's very easy for me to see why there is so much debate on the book of revelation because you have to keep it in context now here's something that we know about jesus jesus often taught with parables which means stories. So to understand, and this is how, and John, you know, John walked with Jesus. John was very accustomed 
The other thing that you have to do is you have to, when you're reading the Bible, you have to keep it in the time that it was written. You cannot move it out of its time and out of its setting and then translate it or try to decipher it because that will also get you out of whack. So Jesus was showing John. So Jesus had John up in heaven and he was showing, showing John spiritual things that were, that had occurred, spiritual things that were coming, that were now happening and spiritual things that were going to happen. And he took, and he not only showed John what was happening in the spirit, but he showed John how these things would affect the earth. So when you read Revelation, you have to understand that John is going back and forth from heaven and earth. He's seen heaven. He's seen the earth. He's seen what's happening in the spirit realm. And then he's seen what's happening in the natural realm. And they're both happening at the same time. Uh, and John's trying. And then the other thing is, is what John is seeing in the spirit realm is undescribable. How much do you know? If somebody has never been or never seen an elephant and you try to describe an elephant to somebody, how are you going to describe that thing? It, it'd be a challenge to describe it, wouldn't it? Can you imagine trying to describe an elephant if you had no clue? Uh, if, no, if they didn't have a clue of an, uh, of an elephant? How much you know? You're probably going to describe it. Well, it looks kind of like a giant uh, tree on its side with legs, and it has like this long branch. And it, you know, like how are you going to describe it? How much do you know? What they're picturing is not exactly what you're trying to describe to them. That's the same case with the Book of Revelations. So you have to understand that as John is describing these things. They're not necessarily literal lions and scorpions and things like that. Uh, so in chapter 6, um, Jesus opens the first seal. And the first seal talks about a rider that comes conquering and is still conquering. And this rider has a golden crown and he has, an, and he has a bow. Um, and so this very much so describes Jesus coming to the earth as a man and conquering Satan in the spirit. How much do you know? Jesus went through some natural things, but spiritually, it was everything he went through naturally was to defeat Satan spiritually. And he, so he went through the natural processes to save a natural people in the spirit realm. And on that note, you have to understand when, under, when trying to read this book, and honestly, this is true for the Bible as a whole. God is a spirit, and his number one concern is spirit. He's spirit. He's concerned about the spirit realm more than he's concerned about the natural realm. He is concerned about the natural realm because his children live and operate in the natural realm, and we deal with a demon, and we deal with Satan, in the natural realm. And, and what happens in the natural realm will impact us in the spiritual realm uh, for eternity. But God's number one concern is the spirit realm. And so we need to be spirit-minded. And John, in having this vision, is in the spirit realm, which means what is occurring in the spirit realm takes precedence over the natural. 
Okay? Uh, so he talks about that. So, so the first seal deals with, with Jesus taking back all power, authority, all power and authority, uh, which he then hands over to his church through his name. So Jesus came conquering. He conquered Satan, but through the body, through us as believers, how much you know Jesus is still conquering today? He's still conquering today. What do you mean he's still conquering today? Well, when we, the church, the body of Christ, stand up and take our authority in the name of Jesus, it's like taking Satan and locking him in his cell and saying, uh, no, criminal, <laughs> uh, no, you're not doing that. He's con- we, we conquer our enemy through Christ. And that's going to continue through the entire church age. Um, then, um, and the, then after that, the second, he opens the second seal, which is kind of like the second chapter or the next part of the story of the body of, of, of the church age. And uh, because here's the deal, you have to understand the Old Testament is the age of the first covenant with God. That's the first story. The Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, a lot of people, listen, a lot of people spend more time in the Old Testament than they, knew, when they, than they do in the New Testament. And here's where that's a problem. That's a problem because the anointing that we live in is in the New Covenant. The power that we live in is today. Yes, it's good to read the Old Testament. Yes, it's good to know our to know our history. We need to know our history. You need to know what happened in the old in the old covenant because it will help you to better understand the new covenant. And the old covenant is types and shadows of everything that takes place in the New Testament. And the old and the New Testament is completely preached out of the Old Testament. You can't get to the New Testament without the Old Testament. But if you spend all of your time studying the Old Testament, you are not going to walk in the power, the authority, the might, and the dominion that you're to walk in today because you're focusing on something that is dead and past. Not done away with, but it's fulfilled. And now we're over here in the New Testament. And so you've got to pay attention. And so... So we don't sacrifice the animals anymore. We don't live under the uh, the Jewish law. How much do you know? We get to travel more than a mile on on the Sabbath. How much do you know? When you come to church, Pastor Mike and I, you're not coming in here with your bulls and your goats and your rams and your turtle doves and your mill and your banqueting wine, and we're not slitting that thing and spraying it and splattering you with blood and all that. Aren't you glad? Me too. Me too. I'm glad. I'm very thankful. I tell the Lord all the time, you knew what you were doing when you saved me for the new covenant. Huh? Oh, yeah. I would have been like, you want me to do what, Lord? No. (laughs) He knew. He knew. How much you know? God knew exactly what era and what time you needed to be grown in. Yeah, I'm not sure how they did all that. I, that's another discussion for another day. If you think about what happened in the Old Testament. All right. So the second writer comes, and uh, he's, and this writer comes for the purpose of taking away the peace of the earth. 
to take away the peace of the earth. So this is like the introduction. The second seal is like the introduction of the second main character in the story. That's what it's like. We introduced the first character, and now we're introducing the second character. The first character is to conquer and to continue conquering. The second character is um, to, to take away peace and to cause death and mayhem and all of this problem. So what's the first character's job? To stop, the, to conquer the second character. That's his job. Okay? So, and I know that makes it kind of simple, but you know what? The word was taught, was written on a simple level. The word is not supposed to be hard. It is not supposed to be complicated. So this, this second person, the second character, the second writer, uh, was sent, came, came, I shouldn't say sent, but he came to take peace from the earth and he does this by getting people to kill or to commit evil one against the other. Now, again, keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. God is concerned with the spirit realm. Satan is also concerned with the spirit realm. Why? His kingdom is spiritual. So is he, what, what type of, now this, and we hadn't talked about this. But I need to. There's three types of death in the Bible. There's three types. There's natural death, which is of the physical body. And Jesus, when he talked about it, he didn't call it death unless he was pressured. He said they were asleep. He said they were asleep. Y'all looking at me like I'm goofy. Go to, go to real quick. Let's go look at this real quick. We did. Go to Lou, uh, go to John, get my stuff right here. Go to John. We just talked about him. Oh, no. Where was it? Where were you hiding? Where are you hiding at? It was in healing school. We talked about it. Yep. No, it was the one in John. Da, 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 da. Jairus' daughter's another one. Hold on, I wasn't going here, and then the Lord was talking to me as I was getting here today. John 11. I didn't go far enough back. Thank you. John 11. There we go. John 11. This is where Lazarus, Jesus gets word um, of Lazarus. And... Uh, and uh, he, gets, he gets word of Lazarus and that Lazarus is dead, that Lazarus is very, very sick. And they send for him to come and they send, uh, for, they send for him to come. And uh, look at verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11. And uh, it says, these things he said. And after he saith them unto, un, unto them, so he kind of corrects them, de- deals with the situation and then he says, Jesus says this. He said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Um, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, if he's just sleeping, why do we need to go healing? <laughs> he's well. And Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He said, um, Hello? No, no, Lazarus is dead. 
Why did he have to be so blunt and so frank with his disciples? Because they did not understand that when we leave our physical bodies, our bodies are not are, are essentially doing what is equivalent to a sleep. Because us, the true us, those that are alive unto God, are still alive. We're just we're just in a different place. We're in the heavenlies instead of in our physical body. And so they're like, oh, well, he's sleeping. In other words, his disciples were thinking totally natural. And Jesus said, in the natural, the body's just asleep. Why? Because Lazarus was still alive unto God. So there's a physical death that the Father and Jesus and the Holy Ghost looks at as like nothing more than they were asleep. They're asleep. Jairus' daughter is another one. And there's three accounts of that. You find that account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all three accounts, uh, you find out that Jesus, in all three accounts, looks at the family and says, why all this ado? Your daughter sleeps. She sleeps. She's asleep. And uh, they're like, uh, what do you mean she's asleep? Uh, she looks dead to us. Why? Because all children, are spirit, their spirits are alive unto God when they're born. They stay alive unto God until they reach the age of accountability. Obviously, the daughter had not reached this age. And so he, he said, she's still asleep. Why are you all upset? So with God, for somebody to, to physically, naturally die, it's nothing more than sleep. Nothing more than sleep. Um. In, thank you, Lord, we'll go there. Go to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. He said here... Through the Apostle Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit said, I would not have you ignorant. In other words, he doesn't want his people uneducated. He said, I don't want you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Do you think God's going to talk to us about us sleeping in our beds? No. He's talking about what we, in the natural, refer to as physical death. He said, I don't want you ignorant concerning those which are asleep that you, look at what he said. He said that you sorrow not even as those with no hope. He said, listen, Christians, listen, Christians, when your fellow believers, when their physical body goes to permanent sleep, he said, we don't grieve. We don't get sorrowful. He said, it's not something to be sad about. He said, because if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, he said, listen, when they fall asleep, when they leave their physical body, they immediately go with God. God brings them with him. Um, There's actually angels that will escort you to heaven. There's actually angels that escort you to heaven. They come to take. To, they come and escort you to, to, to. They 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 take you right with them. Um, 
He said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not uh, pervert, or prevent them which are asleep. He said, listen, the fact that we're all still here alive doesn't stop those that have gone to permanent sleep from going ahead and going on. You don't, listen, when your loved one goes into the grave, they don't have to sit in the grave and wait for, for you to die and the church to be called away before they get to go. They get to go now. This is why Paul said um, for, for, to die is gain. He said, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the first death is, so what, and the, so the Bible refers to this as a, so the Bible does, because we're dense, because we're dense, the Bible does refer to this as death. Remember Jesus said, uh, no, he's dead. Like what you're thinking, what you're thinking is right. But technically, he, his body's simply asleep. And, and he's alive and he's functioning elsewhere. So there's physical death. Then there's what's called spiritual death. And that's to be, and that's what's, and that means to be spiritually separated from God. Spiritually separated from God. This is the first death. To be spiritually separated from God. That means that we can be walking around here. Uh, not our spirit is dead to God, no longer alive unto God. We've rejected Jesus Christ. This only happens after the age of accountability. And uh, that's when we need to be born again. Born again. Okay? So somebody that is walking and is alive, uh, they're living, they're, they're in their physical body, they're physically alive, but they are no longer alive unto God, that's the first death. Then there's what you call the second death. This is what God calls it is the second death. And this is when they are departed from God for all of eternity. This is when your physical body doesn't exist anymore. And this is when you either go to heaven or hell. And when you make, if, you, if you fail to make heaven and you make hell your choice, then you are cut off from God for all of eternity, and there's no coming back. None. There's no coming back. Now, so God calls that the second death. Now, where some people get confused, where this gets confusing, is in the book of Revelations. Because we as pastors and ministers uh, and, and teachers, often we refer to these three stages of death as a first death, second death, third death. And we tend to say the first death is when you're physically dead. But that's not what God calls it. God calls it asleep. We tend to call being asleep dead. That's what the, he looked at them. He, remember, he looked at them and said, no, Lazarus is dead, like you think dead. We tend to refer to that as the first death. We tend to refer to the second death as the death of uh, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually departed from God. So we kind of get them out of order a little bit because of this teaching. And then the third death is when your eternity, when you're separated for God from all, for all of eternity. So these three deaths can get a little out of whack a little here. Okay? But from the spiritual realm, now that, and, and those three deaths are deaths that we talk about on the earth. 
in the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm deals with two deaths. They deal with they're physically alive, but they're spiritually separated. Physically, that, that's the spiritual death. And then there's, uh, they're, not, they're, they're not alive physically, and they're separated from God, and they have no chance of, of changing this outcome, and that's dead for all of eternity. God's concern is that every, believe, that every person on the planet never experiences spiritual death for eternity. Satan's goal is to get you to obtain spiritual death for all of eternity. That's his goal. Okay? And he knows if he can get you in this life to reject God, and then he can get you physically dead, then he has you for all of eternity. Okay? So you've got to keep these in mind when it says to kill. Okay? You have to keep these in mind. Because when you look up this definition in the, so now let's go back. So when we look up, when we look at this word in Revelations to kill, uh, when it says his job is to, to, uh, take peace from the earth and to get people to kill one another, to, or get people to kill one another, he is talking physical death to a degree, but more importantly, what he's trying to get them to do is spiritual death. Because here's the deal. If he kills off Derek right now, Derek's going to heaven. That's not a win for Satan. That's what you would call a tie. He took Derek out of here. He took Derek out of here, so Derek's not going to win anymore to Jesus. But at the same time, Derek just went on to be with the Lord, so Derek got a victory. So Satan's like, it's like a bittersweet for him. Ideally, what he wants... Ideally, what he wants to do is he wants to get the world to come over here and separate Brianna from God, get her to reject God, and then kill her. Because then she belongs to him for all of eternity. You see how this works? See how this works? She's like, no, wait a minute. You just killed me for all of eternity. I don't, I don't think I'm a fan of this. Don't let Satan take you out and you ain't going to worry about it. All right. So... That's what this ultimate, that's, that's the ultimate goal of this second writer in chapter 6 of Revelations is to get you to reject God in the physical so that when you die physically, when you physically go to sleep, you end up in his kingdom for all of eternity. That's the purpose of this writer. And how this writer does this is with a sword. But it's not a physical, you know, swashbuckler sword thing it's a it's with the words of his mouth and it's with the words of the mouth of his enemy and he comes with the words and he whispers things in your ear like you're not doing anything for god god doesn't love you god doesn't need you you're always going to be stupid you're always going to fail you're not you can't accomplish the things of god so you might as well just go ahead and quit on god now what is he doing he's using his sword against you now, how do you get? How do you defend this? You use the God, you use the sword of the Lord against it, and you say, "No, no, 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 no I see you, Satan." 
And you begin to cut back with him and you say, no, the Father God loves me. My, my pastor and my church family loves me. I'm, I do amount to something because God created me with the workmanship of his hands. And God has called me and anointed me and appointed me for a work unto Christ. And you begin to, and you begin to fight back. And as, long, and as long as you keep fighting, eventually this enemy will quit and leave you alone for a season. Now every once in a while he'll come back. Once he's rested a little bit, he'll come back and pick a fight with you again. And again, you've got to speak the word of God. Why? Because Jesus came conquering and to conquer. Which means every time this writer comes against you, you've got to do what Jesus does. You've got to conquer him. Every time. Man, I didn't know that was in this review. That's pretty good, Lord. All right. So then if the words don't work, this writer has another tactic to use against you, and it's called money. It's called money. And the closer we get to the church rolling out of here, the more he's going to try to grab a hold of money. We see it right now, don't we? Don't we see our money trying to be grabbed harshly right now? We do. But God put a commandment upon this writer and said, uh, don't hurt the oil. Don't hurt the honey. In other words, you're not saying you're not allowed to touch the money of the believers. Provided, provided, listen, you can't go, I'm a believer, therefore I'm going to have all the money. No, because if you're not a tither, Satan has every right to steal your money. If you're not a giver, Satan has every right to steal your increase. If you're not, if, if you're, um, if you're not taking and exercising your authority over Satan and telling him, commanding him to release and let go your money, he's going to keep it. How much do you know if the business owes you a refund? They're going to take, they're going to keep it as long as they can. I'm not being ugly, but how much do you know the government, if you owe, if the government owes you a tax refund, unless you go tell the government, give me my refund, they ain't giving it to you? Where, where do you think they get that principle from? The enemy. The enemy. you got to go tell the enemy, uh, excuse me, in the name of Jesus, that's mine. Take your hands off of it, release it, and let it go. Angels, go get it. Because this is all transpiring in the spirit, and you've got to get it to come to the natural. Because God deals in the spirit realm. We have got to learn, church, I cannot explain this enough. You have got to quit. Listen to me. You've got to quit living in the natural. You've got to quit thinking natural all the time. You're not going to get the victory if all you think about is natural, 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 natural. Miss Ann will tell you, I am on her all the time. She lives with me. I get to trap her in the car all the time. All the time. All the time I get to trap her. Brian will even tell you, Brian will even tell you, it's a trap. It's a trap. Don't get in the car with the pastor. It's a trap. But listen, listen, she'll flat tell you, she'll flat tell you, I am on her all the time. I said, Mom, you're thinking natural. Mom, I'll get fuzzed. Mom, you got to think about this from a spiritual standpoint. She's like, okay, okay, you're right. And she'll say, you know, you know, when, you, when listen, I'm not, I'm not naive. When the body starts to age, you know, it starts to talk to you. And she's got some years on me. So her body talks to her. And she'll say, oh, I'm just so, I'm in, you know, 
she gets to agreeing with her body and saying some things. And I'll say to her, Mom, is your spirit feel that way? No. I said, then talk from your spirit. Listen, listen, the Lord talked to me about it one day. He got all over me about it one day. He got all over me one day. I live with my mother for 12 now. I promise we're, gonna try, we're talking about revelations. I promise we are. But I, listen, I lived with my mother-in-law for 12 and a half years. That the question is, she knows Jesus is questionable. She tells us yes, but we look at the fruit and we question, okay? So, but in either case, she deals with a lot of pain and agony, and she moans and groans so bad that my birds mock her and make fun of her. And I'm not lying. I'm not, I'm not lying. They, they make fun of her and they mock her. And so, so when I was dealing with a lot of pain, I would catch myself going to get up, and I would, ugh. And I'd go, oh, oh, why am I doing that? Oh, don't do that. I'd get on my own nerves. Get on my own nerves. And one day the Lord asked me, and I said, and I, I was mad at myself, and I said, Lord, you got to help me. I can't do that. I cannot be moaning and groaning like my birds, like my mother-in-law. I can, my birds cannot make fun of me. This is not okay, Jesus. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, well, just declare the word. And I said, just just out of sheer pressure, I said, but Lord, I am in pain. That's what I told him. I said, but Lord, I am in pain. And to say that I'm not, to lie. I spoke what the devil spoke to me. I did. I did. I just cracked the door. She thinks she's not doing anything for Jesus. She can preach better than I can half the time. In either case, in either case, I, I opened the door wide open, and the Holy Ghost said, excuse me? And I said, what, Jesus? I was in pain. I was, how much you know when you're in pain, you're grumpy? So I was grumpy with Jesus. So I was grumpy with Jesus, and I said, but Jesus, I don't want to be a liar. And he said, tell me something. I said, what? And he was stern with me. He said, tell me something. And I said, I said, what? He said, is there any pain in your spirit? I said, No. He said, is not the real you your spirit? I said, yes. He said, so then is the real you in pain? And I said, no. He said, then why don't you speak the truth? And I said, Jesus, I repent. I repent. So now when pain strikes, I just say, thank you, Jesus. No pain in me. Is it true? It's 100% true. There's absolutely no pain in the real me, which is my spirit. And guess what? After I started doing that, a few months went by, and Michael made a statement. We were talking about something or this or that. And he said, well, honey, he said, I know you deal with a lot of pain, so I don't want to. And I looked at him, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, you deal with a lot of pain. And I said, actually, I really don't have hardly any pain. I mean, like if, I, like, if I do, like if I'm real active, then yeah, but generally speaking, day to day, it's not like it was. And he was like, oh. See, when you work the word, eventually you just keep working and working and working and it starts to work. You don't even realize it's working. So anyway, so this writer comes to kill, comes to steal your money. Uh, the fourth thing he does, we got to it beforehand, is he, come, is he brings sickness and death. And he brings it through the word. And he causes people to experience physical death and then to experience hell. Because they've rejected God. They physically died because of sickness, and now they're in hell for all of eternity. They've gone through all three deaths. That's the purpose of this writer. 
And we're living in this day more than ever. More and more people are dying because of physical sicknesses than ever. Um, even though modern medicine is huge and can heal a lot. Um, and they're dying and they're going to hell because they're rejecting God. So we can see that this story is coming to an end. The fifth seal is open. And uh, this fifth seal points to people being heavily persecuted by God. Very persecuted by God to the point that they're hiding in the churches. You know, there's a lot of people in underground churches hiding because they're being persecuted all over the, all over the world. All over the world. Uh, we won't talk about some of the very disturbing persecutions that some of these people are going through. But they're, they're hiding in, uh, in, in hidden underground churches and they're saying, God, how long is this going to go on? And he's telling them, hold on just a little bit longer. This is going to go on for just a little bit longer. But rejoice that you've obtained your righteous robes. So there's a little bit, time, a little bit of time left. The sixth seal is open and this is when the church is departed or carried away or raptured. Now, you'll hear people say and give the argument that the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, that's true and not true in the same time. The Bible talks about the church, the body of Christ, being carried away. And the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and originally written, and then it, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and then they both were translated into Latin. And the King James was taken from the Latin. And the word, uh, and in Latin, the word carried away is the word rapto. Rapto. And that's where we get the word rapture from. But the Bible does talk about the church being carried away. In fact, in Revelation 6, let's go look at it. I'll show it to you right here in Revelation 6. We saw it when we were teaching it, but we'll show it to you anyways. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. And it says here, well, let's back up to verse 12 where the seal is open. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So the sky is going to go dark. How much do you know when Jesus was on the cross, the sky went dark? The sky went dark. Um, and then the moon is going to turn into blood. Or really what it's going to do is the moon's going to shine in the sky as though it was red, blood red. And what causes the skies to be red from a scientific standpoint is air or is uh, dust in the atmosphere. So if there's a great earthquake, don't you know there's going to be a lot, a lot of dust in the atmosphere and therefore the sky is going to look blood red? Absolutely. And the stars, he says, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, and even as a fig tree casteth forth um, in untimely figs, even as she is shaken a mighty wind. Now where it says, um, it says the stars, the stars, uh, a lot of times in the scriptures, the stars uh, are equated to angels. In fact, in Revelations, the God referred to the stars of angels. Remember when he said, the seven stars in my hand are the angels of the churches, the messengers. So these stars can represent these messengers. And it says, it says that these stars fell. That word fell actually, can, actually means descended, descended, came down. 
So these angels, uh, so these angels of heaven, it tells us who these angels are. They're from heaven. These angels of heaven descended onto the earth. Um, even as a fig tree casteth forth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. In other words, there's going to be a lot of these angels. These angels are going to come and the heaven departed. Remember, Jesus came preaching repent. For He said repent. For heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he meant was the church of the living God is at hand. That's what he meant. You can reach out and grab the church. So if heaven is the church and the church departs, guess what that means? That means the church is raptured. Well, why did the angels come? Oh, well, that's very simple. The angels are the ones that come. Say it last. To escort. The angels come. In fact, the Bible declares that Jesus is going to read your name out loud, and then the angel is going to come. Because the Bible says, well, in fact, we kind of looked at it in Revelations already. We kind of saw it, but we didn't realize that's what it was. Is uh, He says um, that Jesus reads the names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, you want your name called out before the angels. Why? Because that way the angel knows to come get you. So what's going to happen is the angels, when that seal is open, the angel, the, your name's going to get called out before the, before the angels, and your angels are going to come and fetch you. Because every believer, every born-again believer, has an angel, has a legion of angels assigned to them. And so when your name is called, the angel goes, That's my person! And they're going to go. They're going to go. They're standing at attention. They're waiting for their person to be called. And they go, that's my person. And they go. And they come collect you. That word carried away, it literally means by force. The angels are going to come and they're going to get you and they're going to go, the time to leave is now. Let's go. Very much so like when the angels took Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Very, very similarly. Very similarly. Man, this is good. I didn't know that was in there. And heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled uh, when it's rolled together. Pastor Mike used this example. Those of us that have some age on us will remember. Some of you young kids won't know this. But y'all remember those blinds? Those roller blinds that you pull them down and you'd have to get them just right? Or when you let go, they shut up and they went... And sometimes they'd even fly off the window seals and break stuff. Y'all remember those? Yeah, I remember those. Those were fun. <laughs> those were fun until they broke something important. <laughs> those were fun until they broke something important. That's what it's going to be like when the church gets out, gets out of here. That scroll's going to get rolled up, and we're going to go out of here. We go out of here, there's going to be an earthquake. And it's going to be such an earthquake. It says, it, it says and when it is rolled together, every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Now, I just saw this in the spirit. Do you know what most islands are? are? Do what? They're volcanoes. What happens when volcanoes get shaken and moved out of place? They erupt. And what do they do? They blow embers into the sky. How much do you know it looks like fire coming out of the sky? And it happens for miles and miles and miles. It's not going to be good when the church gets called out of here. He said, 
And then it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid himself in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. In other words, uh, people are going to go hiding in the mountains. But this specifically, that phrase right there specifically, refers to the Jewish people. Specifically to the Jews. The Jews will leave Israel and they'll go hide in the mountains and the cliffs surrounding Israel. Specifically. It'll happen all over the world, but specifically, this is gonna, this, it's going to happen for the Jews. And, uh, and because the whole book of Revelations is about, the whole book of Revelations is about getting the Jew to receive Jesus. That's what it's about. And if the heathens get caught up in it, then praise God, hallelujah, Jesus, just that many more saved. Um, because God knows. <laughs> We're going to look at this and go, uh, <laughs> but we'll be out of here. Thank God we'll be out of here. Glory to God we'll be out of here. Thank you, Jesus. And then chapter 7, we talked about this last week. We talked about... It looks like we're primarily going to do a review tonight. We talked about the seven, uh, the how Israel came to be. That way back in the Old Testament, there was a man by, there was a Gentile by the name of Abram. Abram uh, uh, was a Gentile. He was outside of fellowship with God, but he chose to have. In fact, his family were pagans. They worshipped false gods. But Abram decided to trust and believe in the one true God. And he ends up making a covenant with God. And uh, after the covenant's made, God changes his name to Abraham. And then Abraham has a son whose name is Isaac. And yeah, there's Ishmael, but we're not getting into that because this pertains to the Jews. Okay? And then later, after Isaac is grown, and don't forget, I didn't put this in here, but remember, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar like like the Father God had Jesus sacrificed. And remember, Isaac went willingly. Isaac went willingly. And Isaac said, uh, Dad, I see the wood, and I see the stuff to make the fire, and I see the altar table, but uh, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> Where's the sacrifice? And Dad came over and bound him hand and foot. And Abram stood there and took it. I mean, Isaac did. So Isaac was willing. But then he looked over, and there was a ram. God provided a sacrifice. He just wanted... You know, it's a type and shadow of Jesus. So later, Isaac enters into his own covenant with God, but it doesn't replace Abraham's covenant. It adds on to it. And then after that, Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob enters into a third covenant with God, which adds on to the covenant that Abraham and Isaac have. So now our, now our covenant is a threefold covenant. Um, and Jacob ends up having 12 sons. Their names are listed. And these 12 sons become the leaders or the fathers genetically of the uh, 12 tribes of Israel, Israel's 12 tribes. And from there, all of the descendants create the nation of Israel and all of the Jewish believers because they follow the Judea law, the law of Judah or the law of God. And so that puts us here. So it talks about that. Talks about him being saved there. All right. So that gets us there. Now we're in chapter 8. Let's read and we'll see uh, how far we get before we run out of time. Revelations chapter 8. And, and uh, I, you got to make sure that you understand these points. Understand that God is concerned with spirit 
And God talks about spirit before he talks about natural. In chapter 8, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, so the seventh seal has been now opened. The church has been, the church has left. There's been, the angel uh, has come and marked the 144,000. We know that there are servants of Satan, demons, messengers of Satan, or angels of Satan are already present on the earth to do harm. But uh, we learned in chapter 7 that, that the angel of God said, you can't harm anybody until the 144 are sealed. And uh, it says, so he opens the seal and there is silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Uh, by all indications, um, even the theologians, they don't make any comments here. They don't read anything into it. They say it was quiet in heaven for half an hour. If you've ever spent any time just praying and getting it and praising and worshiping God, you come to a place in worship where you just get still and quiet. You don't move. You don't make a sound. You're not antsy. And, and you just, you have a knowing that you're waiting for God to make his move. You're waiting for God. And so, there, so the indication is, is that's what happens here. There, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw seven angels which stood before God. And them uh, were given seven trumpets. Now, these trumpets are very important. Many theologians believe that these trumpets were, uh, that the sound of every one of these trumpets uh, meant that God was releasing some plague upon the people. That's not what trumpets are for. Trumpets are used as a warning. In Jewish culture, trumpets are used as a warning. Uh, Even in the Old Testament, trumpets are used to warn. And so before something uh, trumpets are used as a call of repentance. Trumpets are used um, as a victory as a victory call, a victory call. In other words, victory is is fixing to be at hand. Victory is fixing to come. Uh, so so we know that there's two uh, main characters at play. There's Jesus and there's Satan, and uh, God uh, riles his people. He, he he gives a trumpet call, and what that trumpet call is for is that trumpet call is to say, get ready. Guard yourself. Get ready. There's about to be a battle. There's about to be a victory. Now, if you're not ready, you're not going to be part of the victory. If you're not ready, you're not, going to be, you're, you're not part of it. So, uh, and this trumpet sounds in heaven. This trumpet sounds in heaven. Well, that seems kind of weird. Well, we know from the scriptures that, um, that the saints of old, that when we get to work, listen, when we get raptured out of here, our work is not done. When we get raptured out of here, we're not just going to go sit on the lazy river of heaven. We're not just going to get our little inner tubes and float upon golden pools of liquid love. And just be like, we're out here swimming around. That's not what heaven's going to be about. There's spiritual work to be done in heaven. And if those that are in heaven today are praying for us on the earth today, how much do you know that those in heaven during the seven years of tribulation are going to be praying for the people that are left on the earth? Because if if somebody doesn't ask God, God can't do anything. 
So we're going to be praying for our loved ones that get left behind. We're going to be praying for the people left on the earth because we know that they're about to go through some really hard pressure. You know, you think about the walls of Jericho. How many times did the Christians walk around the wall? Seven times. There were seven blows. There were seven trumpets. You know, there were, there were seven days that they walked. Well, just like that, there's seven. And so what, what each one of these trumpets blowing is, is this trumpet is blowing to give a warning. He's, he's letting the inhabitants of heaven know there's a war going on. Let's pray. Let's get these people ready to repent. Ready to repent. Now, the people on the earth, those that said, those that got left behind and went, oh, my gosh, I was wrong. Jesus, I repent. Jesus, I get right. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I made my life right with you. There will also be an alarm in their spirit that will go off. They'll hear the trumpet in their spirit. Okay, that's what these trumpets are for. He said, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. Now, what this censer is, I don't know if y'all know what these are. I know, I, I know what it is because I grew up in the Episcopal Church and what have you. But this is a kind of, it's kind of like a round, it looks like a round dish. And it's got a little, so it's kind of round like this, and it's got like a dome over it. And half the dome will open. It'll fold back and it'll open. And you can pour incense or perfume powders in there. And there's a hot coals and they burn them and they make smoke. And they close the little door and it hangs on a chain. And then, they, and then they can walk around the altar and the people and they can swing it. And what they can do is it gets these incense, it gets these odors to fill the whole room. That's what this censer is for. That's what this censer is for. And so he says, he says this, he says, um, and another angel came to the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So when we pray, there's, there's, a lot, there's several prayers. I'm not going to go into them all tonight. Uh, but there's several scriptures that talk about that when we pray, our prayers are a sweet odor or a sweet fragrance or a sweet perfume to the Father God. And the reason for that is, is because our angels collect our prayers, they take them to the Father, they mix them with incense, and then they, and they basically they serve them to the Father so that they, so that the God, and that's how God receives them. And so here he says, he says this, he says he was given much incense, which means much prayer was taking place. Much prayer was taking place. That he should offer with it the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So they're praying, the angels serving these prayers to the Father God. It says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angels' hands. So the angels are taking our prayers before the Father, taking the prayers of the people that are on the earth that are praying, oh God, oh God, there, he's collected all these prayers and he's taking them before the Father. And then it says, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. 
The fire of the altar is the anointing power of God. Anytime in the Bible you, it talks about the fire of God, it's talking about the anointing and the power. So, so the angel takes the censer. After he, after he serves up all the prayers, he takes the same censer and he fills the censer completely um, with fire from the, from the altar, the, uh, which is the anointing. And then it says, and cast into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. That word earthquake right there means shaking. And so what this means is this angel, because a lot of people have asked during the seven years of tribulation, will there be, will, will God or the church be on the earth? So here's the answer. The church of the living God that's in operation today will not be here because we will be raptured. However, God will have the 144 Jews that received him. And those are for the Jews in Jerusalem, in that region and in that area. But he will also have the, the people that when, when the church gets raptured, the people that have been walking the line. Not, and, and here's the deal. Not all of them will. But the people that have been walking the line with God and they realize, I just missed the rapture. Uh, this is not good. Uh, God is real. Uh, this isn't a game like I thought it was. I can think of family members that are going to say more vulgar than, than when I'm going to say it, but they're going to go, oh, poop. They were right. I was wrong. Now it's time to get my poop together and get this thing right. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying they're going to go, oh, God. And when they go, oh, God, God's going to pour his spirit, his anointing, his power out upon them, and they will be the church of the tribulation. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, so even though, so, they're gonna, so those people will be the voice of God. Those people will be, that word thunderings means to roar. It means that it's, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like a big, it's, they're going to be bold. They're going to boldly proclaim because they have just figured out this just got real. And so now they're going to be, where they've been shy and sheepish, they're going to go, we ain't got time for that no more. It's time. This thing is about to get real. My auntie, my granny, my poppy, my cousin, my coworker said, man, if I get called out of here and you get left, you better know you got seven years and it's going to be rough and it's going to be hard, but you better live for God because you don't want to miss the second opportunity. This is important that we tell people this. Because if we don't tell them, they're not going to understand it. So when, when they get told that, when they figure that out, they're going, to be, they're going to be shouting from the rooftops. It's going to be a roar. They're going to be shouting from the rooftops. And lightnings, that means there's going to be all kinds of revelations, revealings, unwrappings. People are going to go, oh. People that have been spiritually asleep are suddenly going to wake up. An earthquake means there's going to be a shaking. I mean, you know, there's, in, in the spirit right now, there's a spiritual earthquake happening. Right now, people are being shaken. Right now, people are being shaken. But even in the shaking that's happening right now, many people are not going to wake up. And so that's what this earthquake is. Uh, and then it says, and the seven angels 
which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. They're getting ready to sound off. They're getting ready to make the sound. It says that in the first angel, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail, fire, mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of violent weather storms. That's what this is. That word fire actually really would be better translated as lightning. There's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of hail storms. There's going to be a lot of lightning storms. We know with lightning uh, comes a lot of, well, that's why Pastor Mike gets paid. There's a lot of fires that happen. In fact, I just talked to him, the, I just talked to him today, and he said, Honey, we had, a, we had a pretty good lightning storm last night, so we're waiting to get reports on actual fires that have popped. He said, So we might start to be getting real busy now. So there's going to be uh, hail storms. There's going to be lightning storms. It's going to be mingled with blood. What does this mean? It means the sky's going to turn. The sky's going to turn. And honestly, if you have a lot of distru- a lot going on, um, so a lot of blood, um, and then again, don't forget, there's probably volcanoes that are still going off too. There's also probably volcanoes that are still ru- that are still uh, active and still rupturing. It said, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up. So there's going to be a lot of wildfires. And all of the green grasses also burnt up. Now, does it say that anybody dies here? Nobody dies. No, there's no death here. It says, and the second angel sounded, and it was, and as it were, great mountains burning with fire cast into the sea. So these are, uh, again, could be volcanoes. Uh, because of the earthquakes, because of, of the plates moving out of orbit, uh, things like that. It could have shifted the Earth systems. There might be things like meteors and comets. We don't know. Uh, but there's going to be what looks like fiery things um, burning. Now, you need to understand that when the, water, when the Bible talks about seas or waters, a lot of times that means people. That means people. And God talks in stories and parables. So he says, And the second angel sounded, and there was great, and there was a great mountain burning with fire, and cast, and was cast into the sea, or cast in, in or amongst potentially the people, and a third part of the sea became blood. Uh, it could mean literal blood like the plagues of Egypt. Um, it could be the animal it doesn't say that the animals died just yet, but it could be from that. Because there's a, there's a semicolon here, and it says, And a third part of the creatures were in the sea and had life died. And a third part of the ships were destroyed. So it could very well be that this whatever hits these waters, whatever hits these seas, causes the animals to die, and that's why the water turns to blood. It's not specific. It's not clear. But what we do know is this is a bad environmental situation that's happening. This is an environmental thing that's happening. <clears throat> but again, does it say any people died? doesn't say that. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven. Now, again, we saw earlier that fell means to dis- it could mean descend, and that's what it means here is descend. And it says a great star, a great star. So this means 
a, a, a messenger um, that has a lot of fortitude or power. I want to remind you what, that, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. God said that there's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and wickedness in high places. And when Kenneth e. Hagin heard from, was talking to Jesus about uh, authority over demons and devils, uh, Jesus talked to him about powers, principalities, and rulers of darkness. And Dad Hagin said, well, what about the rulers and uh, wickedness in high places? And God said, you worry about those three, and I'll worry about that one. So the indication is, is that up in the heavenlies, not in heaven itself, but in the spiritual realm of the heavenlies, there are some pretty bad demons. And one of these, one or more, is one of these uh, pretty powerful demons descended from the heavenly, from the spirit realm, is what this indicates. It says, the, it fell upon the star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, uh, so he's going to come looking like a light. This demon is going to come looking like a light. And it descended or fell upon a third part of the rivers, meaning people, and upon the fountains of the waters, more people. And, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. Wormwood, actually, what that word actually means is um it's not destroyer calamity calamity the word uh w worm wood actually means calamity so this star this demon's name is calamity and the third part of the waters or the people became wormwood in other words they became calamity they came under the influence of this star and many men died of the waters, um, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. This is not talking physical death. What it's talking about is when this demon called calamity comes, he's going to influence or have part over a third of the people, and, and a, a third part of the waters or the people become wormwood. In other words, they, they, they help to bring on calamity, to bring calamity to people, uh, to bring destruction and harm and what have you. And it says that many, many men died. This is spiritual death. They've spiritually rejected God because they have, because they have become bitter towards God. Because they, how many, you know, uh, there's going to be people that are going to be like, Jesus, I was in the pew every single Sunday for 90 years, and you left me here to deal with this? How much, but, but their heart was far from God. How many, you know, their heart's going to be bitter. Their heart's going to be bitter. I'm here, and all this weatherous stuff is happening, all this calamity's happening, and I'm here to deal with this, and I, and I, and I did tithes, and I did offerings, but, but their heart was far from God. It was nothing more than, than mental assent and religious duty. They never actually received Jesus. How much do you know? They're going to be bitter towards God. They're going to be bitter towards God. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. So as a third part of them were darkened. 
So the sun is going to change. The moon is going to change. The stars are going to change. What do you think that's going to do to the earth? It's going to cause the earth to go through some issues because it's the sun. It's the gravity of the moon and the sun that keeps the earth on its axis and keeps it moving and keeps it turning. And so something's going to, so, so that's going to change some things. And it says, and the day shall not for a third part of it and the night likewise. So in other words, uh, our daytime and our nighttime is going to change. The length of days and the length of nights, there's going to be a change. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the mist of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Um, by reason of, their, of other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. He, he said he saw angels coming through. People, he, in other words, there's going to be messengers that are going to be declaring. There's going to be messengers, people declaring, uh, honey, this is just the beginning. We got more stuff coming. We got more coming. So how the seven years is going to start is the seven years are going to start with a lot of weather anomalies. The we there's going to be a lot of weather anomalies, and then there's going to be one uh, demon that's going to come out uh, that's going to descend upon the earth, a wickedness in high places. He's going to descend out, descend down to the earth, and he's going to start deceiving people and causing calamity to come upon people. And calamity means destruction, harm, hurt, distresses, persecutions, things like that. All right. So are we all good so far? Can everybody see it? Because, remember I said, he asked, he asked the question, and it's a great question, why does a demon descend? Because there's demons in the heavenlies. Remember, you've got the earth, then you've got what's called the first heaven, which is the sky that we see. That's the sky that we see. Then you've got the second heaven, which is uh, space. That's where all the stars and the planets and all that is. Then beyond that, if you were able to get beyond that in the natural, if you were able to get beyond that, there's a place called the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm is where heaven is, but that's not the only thing that's there. In the spirit realm is heaven, the Father, God, his throne. That's all in one Egypt area. But just like our natural space is vast, the spirit realm is also vast. And in the spirit realm, there's wickedness in high places. There's wickedness up in that, in that spiritual realm. And so if it's there, then it's got to come down upon the earth. Because remember, you know, so, so this is what I'm saying. We have to understand that demons are, are not only in hell. They've not been, that not, not all of them have been centered to hell. Yes, ma'am. That's the third heaven. The spirit realm is the third heaven, yes. That's where God is, yes. And there is wickedness in high places. And so that, that wickedness in high places, uh, one of, there will be a demon that will descend from there. But, he, but see, you have to understand, he's not, in, he's not in the kingdom of heaven. He's not in the throne room of heaven. In fact, as we get, as we get through this, we find that there's actually walls around heaven. 
So, so there's a fortress in heaven, but just like, but heaven is not just all of everything beyond here. There, that's the spiritual realm. So that's that's where. So you could say the third heaven is the spiritual realm. Does that make sense? Are we good? Okay, don't go home and be like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be good. I know I gave you a lot to go through, but we've got to stay on top of where we're at and what we're thinking uh, to understand this and get through this. Uh, next week, I won't do any reviewing, um, but the Lord was just really laid it upon my heart today that we needed to review, needed to get everybody reminded of some things, get caught back up. And then he said, then next week, you just start right out of the gate. So next week, we'll start right out of the gate and go. So if you've got a tithe and an offering that you'd like to sow, if our ushers will come, we'll sow our tithe and sow our offerings. And uh, we'll get you all out of here as quick, quick, quick as I can. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Father, we just love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you that you are blessing our people. We thank you that as we are approaching the last of the last days, as we are approaching the church being raptured, Father God, that your hand is upon your people, that we're well protected. Father, we just love you, and we thank you that you show us what is to come, both in our future and once we're out of here. And, Father, we give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, Satan, we command you to take your hands off the people's money, release it, and let it go. Every area of finance, including checks in the mail and surprise financial blessings. And, Father, we thank you that the angels are being released and as they're commanded to go and cause finances and increase to come and uh, favor everywhere our people go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You can serve the people.